Well, good morning. Well, I'm glad to see you here today. Uh, it's been a couple of Sundays since I've been able to get a chance to speak to you, so I thought I would remind you how we started the new year. On January 1, we came together for worship, and on that first Sunday of 2017, I asked you a question, and the question was, what's in your box? What's in the box that perhaps you've been pulling around during 2016? What kind of junk is there that you've been pulling around since 2016 that you're about to pull into a new year? And we talked about the definition of insanity. The definition of insanity, of course, is doing the same thing over and over and over, expecting different results. And we talked about how insane it is that you think that perhaps you'll be able to continue to pull the junk in your box into 2017, hoping 2017 is going to be a better year. Hoping 2017 will somehow be different for you or for your family. When in fact you've not yet dealt with the problems and the hurts and the pains of last year. And so that's the way we began on that first Sunday of 2017. And I meant to tell you on that first day that our theme for this year as a church is, is simply this, a healthy church. It's going to be our theme as a, as a church staff, is a healthy church. And I'll tell you more about that in, uh, in the month of February. But, but that's really why I started with this series. Because, you see, a healthy church is made up of healthy people. New programs and new ideas and all those kind of things are great, and I love those. But sometimes we just have to pause and deal with what's in our box. So today we're going to get a little bit more personal. Today we're going to get a little bit more practical and maybe even a little bit more painful. The thing that we're going to talk about today is a universal problem. The thing that might be in your box is something we all have in our box at one time or another. The thing that you may be pulling into 2017 is something some of us have pulled before too. And regardless of your age or your stage in life, this is a problem. This is an issue that we have all struggled with, including your pastor. Now, our head tells us that we need to deal with it. Our heart tells us we better never let go of it. Now, we know it really doesn't belong in the box. We know that as a Christian, it ought not be there. But it's hard for us to let go of it. It's hard for us to open the lid. And so, rather than dealing with what's in our box, here's what we do. We just drag it with us to church, and we drag it with us to work, and we drag it with us home, and we drag it with us wherever we go. We, we just, we know it shouldn't be there. We know that it, we need to deal with it, but we also know that our head is telling us, don't you ever let go of that. Now, some of you probably have already thought about what might, that, that problem might be. And yet, as we continue to pull this stuff in our box throughout the year, guess what? We wonder why we're so angry. We wonder why we're so miserable. We wonder why we're so hard to get along with. We wonder why we're struggling so much to be happy. We wonder why we're so depressed. We wonder why maybe even why we're so sick. I bet some of you figured out what's in the box, haven't you? You see, let me show you what's in the box. There was a day when someone hurt you. Every hurt has a date. 
There was a day when someone hurt you, wasn't there? It may be that they falsely accused you of doing something unethical at work. Uh, It may be that a drunk driver killed a loved one. It might be that your father abused you. Maybe a co-worker belittled you. Maybe a best friend betrayed you. Maybe your spouse walked out on you or cheated on you. Uh, Maybe a church member gossiped about you or lied about you. But there was a day. There was a day when someone hurt you. And for some of you, that day can be traced back to the days of your childhood. I mean, it's a lot of calendars back, isn't it? And for some of you, it was just last week, or it was last month, or maybe it was last year. But every hurt has a day. You may not remember the calendar date, but you'll never forget the day when they did that to you. You'll never forget how you felt, what they said, what you experienced that day. You'll never forget the pain. You'll never forget the agony. You'll never forget. Now here's the problem. Scripture teaches us that we are to forgive those who hurt us. Come on, there's no fun in that. Right? That's not the way it works. Forgive him? Are you kidding me? Forgive her after what she did? I mean, that doesn't even make sense. How do I forgive someone who has deliberately hurt me? How do I forgive someone who shows no remorse? How do I forgive someone who doesn't deserve it? Those are all very good questions. But my question to you is this. What's the other option? I'll show you the other option. The other option is just hang on to it. When you go to church for worship, you take it with you. When you go to school, you take it with you. When you go to work, it's there. And wherever you go, you keep it nearby. And that's your only other option to hang on to it. And for some of you, that's what you've been doing for a long, long time. So here we are at the start of a new year, and you're still holding on to it. You're still holding on to the past, still holding on to the anger and the bitterness and the resentfulness, and still hoping that somehow this year is going to be better than last year. But may I say to you, it probably is going to be worse. Because the longer you drag that around, the worse it's going to get. Now, I understand that refusing to forgive someone feels like the right thing to do. I get that. I understand it's natural. Holding a grudge feels like the natural thing to do. But listen to this. Refusing to forgive has consequences far worse than the pain of being wronged. I've done a lot of research in preparation for this series, and one of the things that I learned as I've read for weeks now is, is how, the, uh, for example, how unforgiveness stresses your body. 
It stresses you physically. You're, it leads to heart disease and to immune system problems and stomach ulcers and headaches and high blood pressure and all kinds of things. There's a whole list of things that how unforgiveness begins to affect you physically. The longer you keep it in your box, the longer you drag it around, it begins to affect you physically. I've also discovered through counseling others and just my own personal observations and personal experiences that unforgiveness harms family relationships too, doesn't it? destroys families. Relationships between husband and wife, relationships between parents and children, relationships between siblings, it just destroys families, it destroys homes. All because of the stuff that's in our box that we won't let go of. I've also experienced it, and you have too, how it hinders your prayer life. You're trying to pray, but it, your prayers, you know, they just never seem to get past the ceiling. And the reason they don't get past the ceiling is because your heart is so hard and you're disobedient to the Spirit of God within you because you're hanging on to your anger, you're hanging on to your resentment, you're hanging on to your bitterness, and you feel like you're right in doing so, and you're trying to pray to a loving God. You're trying to pray to a forgiving God. And he says, what about the sin in your box? Before you start telling me about what's in their box. It really stunts your growth spiritually too. I mean, you, you just start losing, losing interest in God. You start losing interest in church. And, and you're not here on Wednesday nights anymore. And you're not here on Sunday nights anymore. And you come every other Sunday now. And you happen to be here today and probably wish you haven't. And you didn't show up. It stunts your spiritual growth. And then let me tell you another thing that does. It, when you hold on to your grudges, it damages your witness, doesn't it? Have you ever seen these people who, you know... People know that they're Christians, they know that they, they go to church, they know that they're members of Mount Airy, and, and for a long time they seem to be just loving the Lord and on fire for Jesus, and then all of a sudden they got hurt, and all of a sudden they turned into this very bitter person. Whenever you're around them, they just spew out their bitterness. It just kind of boils over. They're just always talking about how this person deceived them and how this person betrayed them, and, and they're just always angry now, and it, they're just destroying the witness. And the reason is... Well, the reason is right here. It was a day when somebody hurt you. And you haven't forgotten it. You haven't forgiven it. And quite frankly, you don't plan to. Someone said that unforgiveness is the poison you drink every day hoping the other person will die. Now, God's tried to warn us. He really has. Have you seen this scripture? We're going to put it on the screen. It's in Hebrews 12. Just look at it on the screen. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15. Here's what the word says. God's tried to warn us. He said, make every effort. This is something that's going to take some work on your part. It's not something that's going to be easy. But make every effort to live in peace with all men. Could we put in parentheses there, even the jerks in your life? All men. And to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Did you notice how he describes bitterness there? He describes bitterness as a bitter root. That's very significant. It's, it, it really is a bitter 
root. One of the reasons for the warning that, that God has given us is because bitterness is just like a root. It goes deeper and deeper and deeper into our soul. And the longer it's there, the deeper it goes and the harder it is to get out of our lives. You see, rather than diminishing with time, the opposite happens. Our bitterness grows. And that bitter root feeds your anger and it feeds your jealousy and it feeds your resentment. And sometimes the thing that makes it even worse than that is that those people who hurt you didn't just hurt you once, did they? They hurt you repeatedly. Over and over and over, they have hurt you. And here's the good news. Did you know that there's a story in the Bible about that very issue? I want you to look at it with me. It's found in Matthew chapter 18. Open God's word to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, once you get that, I just want you to look up here. I want to give you a visual of what happened in this text. Now, beginning in verse 15, Jesus is teaching his disciples about when a brother sins against you, when someone hurts you, how do you handle that, and those kind of things. But skip down now to verse 21. Peter, after he's heard what Jesus has said about forgiveness and all this, everybody just watch up here. I'll read the text to you. I want you to just watch me as I read it. Verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus and asked him, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Now the question is, who asked a question like that? Maybe someone who has been sinned against repeatedly. Who asks a question like that because he says up to seven times? Maybe the person who asks a question like that is someone who says, you know, I've just about hit my limit with this guy. I have a theory. My theory is that when Peter came to Jesus that day, he was dragging his box. There's someone that he had been at odds with or had been at odds with him. When he came to Jesus when, uh, with that question that day, it was not a theoretical question. When he came to Jesus that day with the question, here's what Peter was saying. I've been thinking about what you've been teaching. And there's just, there's this guy. There's this guy in my life. And the question is, how many times do I have to forgive him? And I love the fact that Peter in his honesty said, up to seven times? Now you need to understand that in that day, the rabbis taught that you had to forgive somebody three times going to be a good Jew, you forgive somebody three times. And so Peter said, you know, I'm willing to go way beyond that. I know you're God of grace and all that kind of, I'm going to go way beyond that. How about if I forgive him seven times? Because right now I'm at six and if he, I'm going to give him one more chance and then I'm going to kill him. So how many times, how many times do I have to forgive him? Up to Seven times? You know what Peter was looking for? He was looking for, where's the limit? Where's the limit? And Jesus basically said, 
Peter, if you're looking for a limit, you still don't understand what I was teaching about forgiveness. You know, C.S. Lewis was so right when he said, everyone says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. Right? So in order to make the story clear, Jesus says in verse 22, Jesus answered him, I tell you, not seven times. No, no, Peter, it's not seven times. Put your calendar away. It's not seven times. But 77 times. Or your translation may say 70 times seven. Translators are not sure what that, Eng- what that Greek word, that phrase means there. So some translate it one way and some another. But regardless of which way your translation says it, Jesus was simply saying to Peter, I want to tell you something, Peter. It's, it's a lot more than what you've got on your calendar. In fact, If you're looking for a limit, you're not even close yet to how many times you're supposed to forgive. And in order to make the issue very, very clear, Jesus told Peter a story about forgiveness. The first half of the story explains what forgiveness is. Let's just read it now. The first half of the story explains what forgiveness is. Verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, let me tell you how much money that is. In today's money, 10,000 talents would roughly be 30 to 50 million dollars. All right? 30 to 50 million dollars is what this guy owed. All right, so let's keep going. 25, verse 25. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant, verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, this guy was a servant. The average wage of a servant that day was one denarii. And one denarii, depending on, again, who you read and... and, 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 uh, how they translate this, but roughly people say it probably was around 17 cents a day that he was making. So he said to this master, I know I owe you $30 million, but if you'll be patient with me on my 17 cents a day, I'll pay you back. Now, is that possible in his lifetime? No. It's absolutely impossible for him to pay him back. Now, verse 20. Seven. Such an important verse. Verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. This story was Jesus' way of saying, let me tell you what real forgiveness is, Peter. Real forgiveness is when you set someone free from what they owe you. Real forgiveness is when you quit trying to make them pay for what they did to you. In this story, he canceled the debt and let him go. Now, here's a point of the story that we often overlook, and I want to make sure you get this. Many times, those who wrong us are like the servant in this parable. They have a debt they can never repay. Some of the people that that you are mad at Some of the people that you're angry towards, they're not even alive anymore. Your dad's not even alive anymore. That brother who betrayed you is not even alive anymore. They have a debt they can never repay. 
Or how can a man or a woman who walked out on his family, how can he ever repay that? Or how can a parent who physically or sexually abused a child ever repay that? How can, some, how can someone who said something hateful and hurtful to you and about you, how could they ever repay that? Truth is, it's impossible. And yet, that's exactly what we're doing. We are waiting on them to pay. And so this year is going to be different from next year because maybe this year they're going to pay. And I'm going to keep this close. I'm going to keep this handy. But one of these days, they're going to pay. I love you with all my heart, and I want to say to you this. No, they're not. They can't. They can't repay it. It's impossible. And I know what some of you are thinking right now, besides the fact, I hate my pastor, I hate my pastor, I hate my pastor. I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, Keith, it doesn't seem right for them to receive forgiveness when I'm the one that's been hurt. It doesn't seem right that I get the pain and they get freedom without having to pay for the pain that they caused me. That just doesn't seem right. And so we insist that they pay for the pain that they caused us. And we hold on to our anger, and we hold on to our bitterness, and we're going to keep holding on to it until they pay. And Jesus told this story to say, you're waiting on them to pay a debt they can never pay. It's just like the man who owed $30 million, making 17 cents a day. It's a debt. He can never pay. See, real forgiveness is when you cancel the debt. Real forgiveness is when you're able to say, and you don't necessarily have to say it verbally to anyone, but real forgiveness is when you you can say, I'm no longer going to make you pay for what you did to me. You may or may not say it to the person who hurt you, but you need to say it in your spirit. I'm no longer going to make you pay for what you did for me or did to me. Now, here's the reason you do that. It's not for their benefit, it's for yours. You don't forgive them because they deserve it. You forgive them because you need to get this out of your life. It's not about what's in their box. God is saying it's about what's in your box. The anger and the bitterness and the hatred, the resentment that's in your box. God says, that's what I want you to deal with. It's not about what's in their heart. It's about what's in your heart that God's interested in. In fact, if you skip down to the last verse of this story, we're not going to get there today, but I at least want to read the last verse to show you where it's heading. Verse 35, last verse of chapter 18. In verse 35, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each one of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart, from your heart. God said, I'm interested in your heart. I'm interested in your box. You need to forgive your brother from your heart. Well, what about his heart, Lord? What about her heart? God says, why don't you let me take care of them? And why don't you focus on your box, your heart? 
I read a story this week about a man who pulled his box for at least 13 years and probably a lot longer than that. Chuck Swindoll tells this story. He says, during my hitch in the Marine Corps, my wife and I rented a studio apartment in San Francisco from a gentleman named Mr. Slagle. He suffered with a back ailment that, had caused, that was caused by an injury received in prison camp during the Second World War. Captured at Wake Island and later confined for years in China, he, left, he was left partially paralyzed when an enemy soldier struck him with a rifle butt. When I visited with this landlord, he'd tell me one story after another of how barbarically he'd been treated. And with vile language and intense emotion, he spoke of the tortures he endured and of his utter hatred for the Japanese. Here was a man who had been horribly wronged without question. The constant misery and pain he lived with could not be measured, and my heart went out to him. But there was another factor which made his existence even more lamentable. Our landlord became a bitter man. Even though at that time he was 13 years removed from the war, even though he had been safely released from concentration camp and was now able to carry on physically, and even though he and his wife owned a beautiful home and had a comfortable income, the crippled man was bound by the grip of bitterness. He was still fighting a battle that should have ended years before. In a very real sense, he was still in prison. His bitterness manifested itself in intense prejudice and acrid tongue and everyone's out-to-get-me attitude. I'm convinced that he was far, listen to this, I'm convinced he was far more miserable in 1957 than he had been in 1944. There is no torment like the inner torment of a bitter, unforgiving spirit. It refuses to be soothed, refuses to be healed, it refuses to forget. Max Lucado said, forgiveness is unlocking the door to set someone free and realizing you were the prisoner. I've come today to ask you to do this. Come today to ask you to, by God's grace, to come to the point where you're not going to try to collect from people who hurt you because the people who hurt you can't pay you back. Now, in the second half of this story, Jesus explains why we should forgive others. I mean, I understand that as you're listening to this, it makes no sense. And as you're listening to this, it's like, there's just no way. That's not humanly possible. And in the second half of the story, he explains why we should do this. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. So come back next week. Bring some other people with you. But here's what I want you to wrestle with this week. I want you to wrestle with one verse this week. I want you to wrestle with it today. I want you to wrestle with it during the invitation. I want you to wrestle with it during this, this next week. I want you to read this verse over and over. We're going to put it on the screen and let you see it. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. It's time for some of you to do that. It's time to cancel the debt and let him go. Next week, we'll talk about how you can do that when everything within you says no. But for today, I want you to wrestle with this verse. Are you willing to cancel the debt and let him go? May I remind you of what the book of James says? The book of James says, Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only.
You see, I don't want you to miss what God wants to do in your life this year because you're still dragging around the pain from last year or from childhood. I don't want you to miss what God wants to do new in you because you're still holding on to the pain of the past. I know it's hard. I know hell will fight you tooth and nail. But it's time to cancel the debt and let him go because it's not worth it. And you're not hurting him. You're not hurting her. You're hurting you. You're hurting your family. You're hurting your future. You're hurting your walk with God. You're hurting your witness. And the longer you hold that deep root of bitterness, the deeper it will go in your spirit and the harder it will be to let go of it. Apostle Paul put it this way, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I want you to experience the joy of facing forward in 2017. I understand that for some of you, as we offer the invitation today, and maybe before we even start singing, you'll want to come and just get on the altar today and just on your face before God and say, God, by your grace and your mercy, I'm going to cancel the debt and let him go. Because I recognize it's not about what's in their box, it's about what's in my box. It's not about what's in their heart, it's about what's in my heart. And what is in my heart right now is not good. And the only way to get rid of it is by your mercy and your grace to cancel the debt and let him go. Hell will fight you all the way to the altar. But you will find grace when you kneel down and say, God, I'm letting it go. I'm letting him go. I'm letting the hurt go. Some of you, quite honestly, you said, Pastor, I understand what you say, and I believe it's Scripture. I'm just not there yet, and I understand that too. But could I ask you to maybe come here and just pray a simple prayer? Or you could pray it right where you are, but the simple prayer would be this. God, I'm not ready, but make me willing to be obedient to your word. God, I just got to be honest. I'm not there yet, but make me willing to be obedient to your word. See, God wants what's best for you. Satan wants to destroy you. So Father, I, I just commit these dear people to you. I, I know what it's like to carry junk in my box and think I deserve to keep it there. And all the while, hurting myself as I do. May the Spirit of the living God fall fresh on us as we cancel the debt and let it go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.